Good morning, City Light. Well, it is good to be back with you all this week. Last week, I was at Rue Elementary School for City Light West Council Bluff's first ever Sunday gathering. That's it. And it was awesome, all right? We showed up here early in the morning. We packed up everything that our new little church plant owns into a small trailer and hauled it across town. There were a couple dozen that showed up early to help us unpack and set up. And then after we got everything set up, we just huddled up and prayed that this next chapter of God's work in our city would ignite new life in Jesus. And it's all kinds of hearts and homes on the West End of Council Bluffs. And so then after we prayed, we just kind of waited, like, is anybody going to show up today, you know? And uh, 91 people showed up. That's it. To sing to sit on hard metal folding chairs on a gym floor to listen to Chuck preach the Bible and to see what incredible things God is doing in our city. And friends, I just want to say, God is doing incredible things. You know, not even four years ago when we uh, started this church plant, people told us that Council Bluffs is the place church plants go to die. Essentially, they're saying it doesn't work here, but Jesus has bigger plans than that, right? And now, because of what he's doing and the grace that he's shown, we've gotten to be part of not just planting this church, but a second church, and we got no plans to slow down, all right? Our God is in the business of doing incredible things, and we've got a front row seat, amen? And so, uh, we're here today, and I think we're going to see that exact same thing in our passage from Matthew this morning. God is in the business of doing incredible things. We've got three stories to look at, and uh, Bible scholars call passages like this in Scripture a pericope. It's when a group of verses uh, support together like one idea or one thought, a pericope. So these three stories are going to work together to put on display Jesus' power and his purpose. Okay, that's what we're going to look at today, and so let's jump right in. In the first story, Jesus heals a leper. Now, in these days, leprosy was sort of a crazy disease. It destroyed your flesh and your body, all right? It was a painful, awful, disfiguring, disabling, highly contagious disease. And once you got it, your life changed. Because as this disease kind of worked through and took over your body, all hope for healing would fade away. It just changed your life. Uh, To prevent the spread of the disease throughout a, a population, really the only option was to exile the victims. And so they'd be sent out of the community to live alone in isolation all by themselves. And so, uh, that not only was this disease physically devastating, it was socially and relationally devastating too. Once you were in exile, uh, there were laws that said you had to wear torn clothing and long hair and shout out, unclean, unclean, if anybody approached you, right? It's just humiliating. Everybody knew they could not go near you. This was a devastating, feared, dreaded disease. 
Maybe a modern day example or equivalent might be something like Ebola, right? It's highly contagious, it's deadly, and as soon as it's suspected that somebody's got it, they're just immediately quarantined. Anybody remember December of 2018 when they flew a guy with Ebola to Omaha, like to be treated at UNMC? I don't know about you, I just remember the, the general thought was, why would they do that? Why would you bring that guy here? Keep him away from me, right? The news was like covering the progress of his transportation to the city and saying what precautions were being taken so they didn't expose the disease to the public. And I just remember thinking, I hope I don't end up eating a burrito next to that guy at Qdoba. Like, that's a bad day. You don't want to be around that guy. Keep him away. That was what everybody was thinking. And that sort of, I don't want to be anywhere near them That was the daily experience for a leper in these times, okay? And so back to our story. Jesus had just got done teaching the Sermon on the Mount to this great crowd on a mountain, okay? And so he's walking down the mountain. This great crowd is following behind. And somewhere as he's making that descent, uh, a leper, an unclean, suffering contagious leper steps into Jesus' path and kneels in front of him. Now, imagine the tension in that moment. I'm just trying to picture the crowd. You got to imagine some people in that crowd, out of fear, they just like, back up. Keep that guy away from me, right? Other people in the crowd, I imagine, kind of leaned in and listened. They wanted to hear, what is Jesus going to say? What is he going to do? Because see, in the law, Jesus was supposed to stay back, stay clean, don't get dirty, don't get contaminated. And yet Jesus had just preached the Sermon on the Mount that says, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. And so they're wondering, how does that mesh? Who is this king? What's he like? What's he going to do? And so some of them lean in. And as a hush falls on this crowd, the kneeling leper speaks. This is what he says. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now I want you to notice what he does not say. He does not say, Lord, if you can, will you make me clean? Like the question for this leper isn't, can Jesus do it? Does he have the ability to do it? He says, if you will, you can. He knew Jesus could. There was no doubt in the leper's statement. He did not say, "Uh, Jesus, healing is your job, so you must do this for me. There was no demand made of Jesus. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, I've suffered enough. I've been a good person. I deserve this. You ought to heal me. There was no entitlement. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, if you heal me, then I'll go to church every week. I'll quit smoking. I'll get my life right. I'll get out of that toxic relationship, whatever, right? He didn't say if, then. There was no negotiating a deal or striking a bargain. When this leper spoke, there was no doubt, demand, entitlement, or negotiation. What was there? It was just a humble request. Lord, if you will, 
you can make me clean. And then in front of a huge crowd of onlookers, Jesus responds. Here's how Matthew says it. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. I don't know about you, but I read that and I just think, no way. Jesus touched the leper? Who does that? Why would you ever do that? Jesus touched the leper? Picture it. This man has lived in isolation with no human contact, no touch for who knows how long. No handshake, no high five, no hug, no Justin Choi at the door, right? Who knows how long? It could have been years. And Jesus reached out and touched the leper. And as he did, he said, I will be clean. And boom, in an instant, the leprosy is gone. Is that not incredible? I just think about that. I'm like, anybody else touches the leper, they get leprosy, right? But not Jesus. Jesus is different. He touches the leper and he does not get the leper's disease. The leper gets his clean right? This is incredible. It's backwards. It's unlike anything else anyone else could ever have done. This miracle story shows us Jesus' power over sickness and disease. And I think it also clues us in to Jesus' purpose, his purpose in bringing this new kingdom. Track with me. I think Jesus gave the leper an answer to one of his deepest questions, his deepest wonderings. Like when the leper said, if you will, you can make me clean. You hear him say, if you will. You catch the wondering, what he's actually asking, the weight behind those three words. He's wondering, God, is it your will that I would be made clean? Jesus, is it your will that you would heal me? I know you can, but he's wondering, God, is this your will? It was a deep question, and Jesus didn't leave him to wonder. He reached out, and he touched him, and he said, I will. And with those two words, Eric translation, I think he's saying, Yes, it is my will that you would be clean. Yes, it is my will that you would be healed. Yes, it is my will that this trial would end for you. I want it to end. So Jesus touched him and he spoke to him and immediately the leprosy is gone with a word and a touch. The pain of sickness and separation evaporated. Jesus touched the untouchable, healed the unhealable and cleaned the uncleanable by the power of his touch and he were and the word Jesus restored this outcast I think that's incredible I think it's just a picture that Jesus is in the business of doing incredible things and so this morning I just want to recognize I know there are some in this room who probably have the same sort of deep question that the leper had Right? Maybe you're experiencing some sort of sickness in your mind or your body and you're wondering, God, is this your will for me? Is this all that it is, uh, life is for me? 
Maybe you're experiencing the pain of separation, like from family or friends or community, or you just feel like God is distant and far from you and you're separated from him. Maybe you feel like you're the one that nobody would ever want to touch, even with a 10-foot pole, right? Maybe you've got that question, God, is this your will for me? And if that's you, I want you to hear these words from the book of Revelation, okay? This is God's ultimate will, his final will for all of his people. This is what it says. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. See, like, know this. Jesus' final will for his people is that every one of them would be healed and restored forever. Amen? He intends to wipe away every tear. You know what that means? That means his thumb on your cheek. A touch just like the leper got. It means uh, his uh, power over Satan's sin and death and sickness on you forever. He'll abolish all mourning, crying, pain, and death. They're done, gone, healed forever. And so if you've bowed the knee to King Jesus, you've trusted him as your Lord, and you've asked him for healing, and it hasn't happened yet then I want you to hear this. Jesus' answer to his people is never no, but sometimes it's not yet. Are you with me? It's never no, but sometimes it's not yet. The unknown is not if, but when Jesus will heal his people. It's, he's got the power, and it is his purpose, okay? This is story number one, Jesus heals the leper. Okay, we got two more. Story number two, Jesus heals a centurion's servant. Okay, so he's walked down the mountain and he makes his way into the city. And as he's walking through the city, a Roman centurion approaches him and strikes up a conversation. Now, just like the leper uh, interrupting his path, the centurion striking up this conversation is incredible. Let me give you a couple reasons why. One, this centurion is not a Jew. That means he is not part of God's covenant people. He doesn't come from the right family. He doesn't live in the right community. He doesn't have the right bloodline. He's not part of God's covenant people by birth or by blood. And not only is he not part of God's covenant people, the employer that he works for, the empire that he supports, they're actually oppressing God's people. So he's not indifferent on the matter. The, the Roman Empire is actually an occupying force that's demanding allegiance to Caesar, not to God. And so by all logical accounts, this guy should have been the enemy. This centurion should have had power over this Johnny-come-lately Jewish preacher named Jesus, right? He should have been the one with power. That's just not what we see. We see something different happen when the centurion hears Jesus in town. He finds him, and he just defers to Jesus' power. This is what he says. Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. 
calls Jesus Lord, and then lays out the situation. I got this servant who's suffering terribly. Now, if Jesus' new kingdom that he's talking about, the kingdom of heaven, is only for people from the right community or family or with the right pedigree and credentials, this guy is out of luck and left out. But again, that's not what we see. Jesus responds. This is what he says. I will come and heal him. So Jesus is willing to go into his house. Now in these days, that's just not kosher, okay? The people of God don't go into the homes of the enemies of God. Kind of common sense. If we love God and they hate God, we're just not going to mix. And so people didn't do that. But Jesus, he thought, well, I just touched a leper. I might as well keep the train rolling, right? He'd preach, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So he's like, I'm going to put that into practice. I will go and heal your servant. And then shockingly, the centurion rejects that offer. And he asks for an alternative. This is what the centurion says. Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. Okay, it's kind of a long uh, little stretch of scripture there, but what the, ser- what the centurion is saying is, hey, Jesus, now wait a minute, I know what it's like to have authority. This centurion could have had even up to a hundred soldiers under his command, at his command, on the ready, and he would say, go, and you know what the soldiers did? They went. His authority meant his orders were obeyed. He need not be present to enforce his will. And he's, he's thinking to himself, man, if Jesus really is God's promised king, he's got authority like that, right? We know what this is like. Like I've been under authority. I used to work at a lumber yard and I would make deliveries and my boss said go and I would load the truck and go. I was a coordinator for a National Science Foundation grant, but on the day of the annual meeting, I was like the intern. They said, go get bagels, and I went and got bagels. Go get copies, I went and got copies. They said, go, I went. You guys know what this is like, right? I think it's why Alexa and Siri are so popular, because you you want the lights turned on? You don't have to walk across the room and flip a switch like a Neanderthal, right? (laughs) You just say, Alexa, turn on the lights, and boom, there's light, right? It's incredible. We know what this is like. The centurion is saying, Jesus, you have authority like that. So authority here is more than just ability. You tracking with me? Like the centurion didn't simply believe that Jesus knew how to heal people. He believed Jesus had the authority to command healing. That's a different sort of thing. He trusted, Jesus, if you really are God's promised king, then you have authority to heal and your word alone would be enough to accomplish your will. So just say the word and it's as good as done. When he said that, Jesus marveled. He's like astonished because he said there was nobody even among God's people that had faith like that. And so he responds to the centurion and he says, go, let it be done. 
for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. Again, story number two, we see Jesus' power over sickness and suffering. And we see that he used that power to grant healing to the outcast, to the leper, and to the enemy, the centurion. Okay? So, two stories down, one more to go. It's short, so I'm just going to read this one to you. It's the one Jordan read earlier. Uh, It goes like this. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, so he's through the foothills into the city, and now he's entering Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law, Peter's mother-in-law, lying sick with a fever. He touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. Now, mothers-in-law, they get kind of a bad rap in the world today, and I would guess some of you in here are thinking, that is incredible. I'm not sure Jesus would even touch my mother-in-law's hand, right? Uh, I don't know anything about that, though, because I got a great mother-in-law, and she listens to our podcast sometimes, and so I just want to say, I'm blessed, all right? (laughs) And I hope that earns me some points, and now I got to get back to my point, right? Um, What is the point? Why did Matthew include this story in his gospel? Jesus had just healed an outcast with a chronic, debilitating disease, and he'd healed an enemy servant with a terminal paralyzing sickness. In light of those, does this story not seem a little anticlimactic? Like Jesus healed her fever and then she got up and cooked dinner. It just doesn't seem to fit with the other stories, right? I don't know about you. I'm just wondering why is this one in there? So stick with me for a minute. I don't think Matthew was just phoning it in at the end. All right. Uh, Toward the end of this pericope, Matthew writes, That evening they brought to him, to Jesus, many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word, and he healed who? All who were sick. That means Matthew had plenty of stories to choose from, and he chose this one. Why? Well, Jesus had just healed the outcast, and he just healed the enemy, And I think Matthew includes this one because Jesus heals the overlooked. Okay, in these days, women were regarded as second-class citizens, overlooked and unseen. Jewish men were even taught to include in their daily prayers this line, Lord, I thank thee that I was not born a slave, a Gentile, or a woman. Could you imagine? Unbelievable, right? Imagine the effect that would have had on the culture. It's just women were unseen and overlooked, but Jesus never bought into that. Peter's mother-in-law was sick enough that she needed to lie down, and when Jesus walked in the house, he took notice. He saw her. The culture said that she was overlooked and unseen. Even in Matthew's gospel, she doesn't get a name or a speaking part. But when Jesus walks into the house, he sees her and heals her. She didn't have a chronic debilitating disease. She didn't have a terminal paralyzing sickness. It was a simple fever. Like, I would guess a little water, a little food, a good night's sleep. She wakes up the next day feeling fine, right? It was not a big deal. And Jesus could have walked in and ignored this overlooked woman with an unimportant fever, but he didn't do that. He saw her, and he touched her, and he healed her. 
the unseen and overlooked matter to Jesus. They mattered then and they matter now. And these three stories show us that Jesus has the power to heal even the outcast, the enemy, and the overlooked. If you've ever felt like you fit in one of those categories with God, know today those categories don't exist for Jesus. He invited all of them in. And so friends, that power is incredible. But if we look at only the power Without seeing the purpose, we miss the point of the pericope. That's a lot of P's, and I didn't intend it. It just happened, okay? Uh, if we talk about the power without the purpose, we're going to miss the point, okay? Um, at the end of the third story, Matthew gives us his purpose statement. He tells us why it matters that Jesus put on these displays of power. It tells us why he mat- it matters that Jesus healed these people. It tells us why he included them in his gospel here It is, the purpose statement. This, all of these healings, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. And so all of Jesus' healings, all of the power that he was putting on display, all of the work that he was doing was not done for any other reason than to fulfill a prophecy that God told his people, this is what my king is going to be like. This is what my kingdom is going to look like. This is what you can expect when I come and redeem my people. It's a prophecy from Isaiah 53. And so let me read it to you straight from Isaiah. This is what Isaiah wrote. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Amen? That's King Jesus' purpose. He came to bear our sicknesses, our sorrows, and our sins. This is what it looked like. We transgressed. He was pierced. We sinned. He was crushed. We, he took our punishment, and we get his peace. That's what we get when the king comes. That's who he is and what the kingdom is like. That's why the king went to the cross. It was so he could take our place. He can heal our sin-sick souls because he carried our sin to the cross and buried it in the grave to be left there now and forever. Amen? By his wounds, we are healed. That's why the king came and put on these great displays of power. Friends, I want to close with this. The same Jesus who was at work back then is at work today. The same incredible power that he had back then, he still has today. The same purpose that he had to draw in the outcast and the enemy and the overlooked and all people into his kingdom, he still has that purpose today. And I've experienced it in my own life. And so I want to tell you um, a little bit of my story here as we close. When I was in eighth grade, I had a polyp in my nose. It filled all of my sinuses and totally blocked air passage through my nose. All right? Weird but true. Um, And that caused, as you can imagine, enough problems that I had to get it taken care of. So I had this polyp surgically removed. And when they removed it, I lost my sense of smell completely. Now, 
When I was in eighth grade, that wasn't that big of a deal to me because I thought to myself, if you've got to lose one of your senses, most people are going to pick smell. And if you're going to lose your sense of smell, most people are going to pick eighth grade as the best time to do it, right? Those B.O. saturated, awkward, sweaty years, I missed all those smells and I praise God for that, okay? So I lost my sense of smell. Then fast forward with me, uh, six or seven years, I am a sophomore in college at the end of my first semester and I'm just in a really dry season in my faith. You know what that's like? Like I'm reading the Bible and I just feel like, man, I'm getting nothing out of this. And I'm praying and I feel like my words are just fading into the air around me. You ever been there? Is that just me? I was there. It was super dry. But I determined I'm going to keep praying the only prayer that I can pray with uh, uh, any, like, that's genuine. Okay? Um, And so it was these two lines. Something like this. God, reveal yourself to me because I need to know you're real. Help me seek you because I'm not doing a good job on my own. Reveal yourself to me. I need to know you're real. Help me seek you because I'm not doing a good job on my own. I prayed those two lines for weeks. And so somewhere in those weeks, one of my friends walks up and he started talking to me about fasting. I don't know why, um, but I had never fasted. But this guy told me it is awesome. It's like he loved it because it was a way that he connected with God and it was in the Bible. And I thought, well, why not? You know, uh, if that works, I'll give it a try. And so I determined one Sunday that I was going to do a three-day fast, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, And so that's all I was going to do. And so Monday I started and uh, I got through just fine. Like I was a little guy, I didn't eat very much. And so Monday passed, no problems. Tuesday, um, breakfast and lunch, I made it through. But by Tuesday evening, I was hungry. Like the first time I think I ever had like, it felt like my stomach hurt from hunger. Um, And so I was super hungry, sort of hangry, trying to study. And my roommate is sitting next to me just snacking. And like the kind of stuff that makes a college guy's mouth water, like Cheetos and Pop-Tarts, you know? He's just snacking, and I couldn't handle it, uh, but I had nowhere to go and nothing to do. And so I did the only thing that I could think would get me out of that room, and I went in and took a shower. And so our college had community showers, so there were five shower heads in one room, and so I turned all of them on. I know it's not green, okay, but I turned all of them on and got that place nice and steamy, and uh, so I was standing there, and I just started praying my prayer. God, reveal yourself to me because I need to know that you're real. Help me seek you because I just don't know how to do it on my own. And in the middle of the fast, And in the middle of the prayer, it happened. I started smelling apples, okay? Like strong smell, like I was in an apple orchard or something, and I could not figure it out. I hadn't smelled anything in six years, and I'm smelling apples, and so I'm like looking around, trying to sort it, and I catch a glimpse of my shampoo bottle on the wall, and it was green and had a big picture of an apple on it, but I had no idea I had an apple-scented shampoo because I couldn't smell anything. And so I just picked out my shampoo by color because that's what you do when you can't smell, okay? And so it was apple-scented. And I unscrewed that lid and just smelled it for like five minutes in that steamy shower. It was incredible. In the middle of a fast and in the middle of a prayer, while I'm asking God, reveal yourself to me, he restored my sense of smell. And people have asked me, how do you explain that? And I've I've thought through this. I can't explain it by the steam in the shower. 
right? Because I had showered at least a dozen times in the six years between eighth grade <laughs> and college. <laughs> I can't explain it because I had a good theology of healing. Like, I, I wasn't sitting down reading a book or some verses, although that's good to do. I just wasn't doing that when it happened, right? I can't explain it that way. I can't explain it because I asked somebody to lay their hands on me and pray. Although that's good to do, I just, that's not what happened. I can't explain it that way. The only way that I can explain the reality that I can still smell today is that Jesus answered my prayer. I was asking him, would you reveal yourself to me? I need to know you're real. And in the middle of a fast and in the middle of a prayer, Jesus restored my sense of smell and when he did, he restored my sense of belief. You know what that means? Like, he used his power to point me to his purpose. And so, friends, can I ask you this morning, would you let these stories from Matthew, my story, point you to Jesus, who is our Savior, healer, redeemer, and king? The leper, the centurion, the mother-in-law, they had something in common besides getting healed. They honored Jesus as Lord. Did you catch that? The leper knelt down as he said, Lord, if you will. The centurion risked being accused of treason by calling Jesus his Lord instead of Caesar. Peter's mother-in-law, as soon as she was healed, what did she do? She got up and served Jesus, her healer. Friends, Jesus isn't a modern day faith healer. He is the ancient of days, powerful to heal, mighty to save, king of all kings. And he is inviting you and me to experience the joy and the blessing and the power of his kingdom. It's an incredible invitation. And so this morning, can I ask you, would you accept? Would you give your life to King Jesus? It is by his wounds that you are healed, body and soul, now and forever. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Awesome God, I thank you for your word, for passages like this in Matthew. Jesus, I thank you that you have power. That your authority doesn't come because uh, a bunch of people voted that you should have it for a season. Your power doesn't come because you conquered a few other people and you've only got it until somebody else conquers you. Jesus, you have power and authority because of your own self, you can do what you will. You are sovereign. You are the King of kings and Lord of lords. And Jesus, I thank you that in your kingdom, that power is not put on a shelf and forgotten, but it is active. And so today, I just want to take a minute and invite you to talk to this powerful King Jesus. If you're sitting here today and you're sick in body or mind, and I, I want to encourage you, Jesus' ultimate and final will is that all of his people would be healed. There, there will be no more crying or sickness or pain or death anymore when we're with him in heaven. 
And sometimes today we still get to experience that healing. In James, it says that if anybody's sick, call together the elders to have them pray and anoint with oil. And Jesus still heals. And so today, if you're sick or mind and body, what I don't want to do is promise that Jesus will heal you instantly. What I do want to do is ask you, would you keep asking him? Would you keep looking to him and hoping in him and trusting that he does have the power to heal you and it is his purpose to do it. And so we will keep asking and we will trust that it might happen today and it might happen on that day. And so if you're experiencing sickness today, would you just ask Jesus, will you heal me? I know if you've been dealing with it for a long, long time, you can, like that hope can begin to hurt and you can ask why not, why hasn't it happened? You can begin to lose trust. You can begin to think, man, I just, I'm going to deal with this and I don't need to ask Jesus about it anymore. Guys, invite you today. Ask Jesus like the leper did. If you will, you can heal me. I got healed. And I think Jesus is still in the business of doing incredible things like that. So this morning, you just ask Jesus, would you heal me? And friends, uh, if you're sick in your soul, like you feel the darkness around you and you feel it closing in on you and you feel like, man, if this is all life is, I don't even know if I want that. I don't know how to get out of it. I'm looking for something to live for that's bigger than myself, that has meaning and purpose. If you're living in darkness and you're experiencing death, can I encourage you to turn to Jesus, the one who is mighty to save, powerful to heal both body and soul. Jesus went to the cross as the suffering servant so that he could put to an end all of our sufferings now and forever. That happens when he forgives you of your sin. And so right now, if your soul is sick with sin, would you just invite Jesus? Would you heal me? Would you restore me? Would you reconcile me? Bring me in. He invited the outcast and the enemy and the overlooked into his kingdom and he will do it for you too. Today, trust in Jesus as your king who's mighty to save and you'll be his now and forever. Jesus, we thank you that you have the power to heal body and soul. We give you all the glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.